been a good day and uh, as Brother Tony said, great food. We've had good physical, fo spiritual food, physical food. Thank you for all bringing that too. There wasn't a, there wasn't a salad the same, I don't think. And that, was, that was really well done. <laughs> thank you. And uh, thank you, Pastor Hong, for coming to us. Amen. There, are, there are some here that weren't here this morning and they need introducing to you. He's, um, Brother Hong is from up in Queensland, from Mackay. I was going to say McKay. He frowns at me when I do that. Nah, <laughs> and so, and uh, he ministers as you've gathered this morning in the school there. He's got quite an open door. At the end of the year, they put a special show, special thing on that he can, the whole school. And uh, he preaches the gospel clear and straight to each class throughout the year. So he's been a ministry there and he's uh, sort of retired but he's looking, he's still active. He, yeah, the older people are shaking their heads and I can't retire. <laughs> Keep going. That means put a new set of tyres on, brother. Yeah, put a new yeah. set of tyres, retread, <laughs> and keep going. Pastor McConnell's in the same yeah, boat. Mate. He's out there preaching. It's good to have these elderly preachers getting around that had experience of 46 years. And so the Lord use you today as you share the word. A mate of Mike's, Mad, Mad Mick, if you ever met Mad Mick. And so... Two of a kind, brother. Two of a kind. Yep. Peas in a pot. He, the first time I met Brother Hong, he was preaching at Brother Mike's funeral. That's where I met him the first time, up there in Ingham. And so got to know him twice after that, ordination, and now here. So thank Amen. you. God bless. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I hope I haven't overstepped the boundaries here today, but it's been good to be here, mate. Tell you. It's been good, eh? I like that. Amen. People who conform. <laughs> now it's been enjoyable. Thank you. What a wonderful lunch. I just love it when we get together, eh? We just enjoy it. All this different tucker from all sorts of families and all sorts of varieties. Man, it's great. It's wonderful. I tell you what, it was good to meet some old friends here today. Carol, Chris. Amen. And a daughter, Golda. Uh, yeah, well, we have a lot of history, Carol and I. We go back a long way. But uh, Brother McConnell, glad to meet him too today. I heard a lot about him. It's all been good. Got to meet him and his dear wife today. And it's been wonderful also to meet our brother. Brother Beasley, you say Beasley or Besley? It's like Mackay and McKay. Brother Besley. We know his brother Beasley. Sorry, brother. That's right. So I'll go and correct him and say it's not Vesley, it's Beasley. Is it Beasley or Vesley? Vesley. <laughs> but you know, it's good to meet brother Ernie and his wife and to uh, be able to come down and put a face with a name. And let me say this too. These men have had a great testimony in the north in all the years that I've heard about them. It's all been good. And uh, brother Mike's always brought back yarns, good stories about down here and so it's wonderful to hear uh, what these folks are like down here but then to put a face with the name and to see how it all works it's just wonderful it's been enjoyable down here with you people in the south I just wish it was warmer <laughs> yeah mate you call this warm I felt sorry for you last year and the year before down here with your summers and all the heat you went through I thought those poor creatures they don't know what hit them but 
Praise the Lord, we've got some relief and you've got it instead. Amen. Well, I tell you what, if you looked at the... Did we, did we put the title on that bulletin this afternoon? Three generations. Three generations. Okay, well, we better stick to the program. Amen. All right. Three generations. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts from it uh, this afternoon, Lord. Again, if there's one here that does not know you, I pray that this might be the day that they would be saved and realise they're a sinner and that Jesus died for them so they could have eternal life. We ask, Lord, you'd encourage your people from your word today. Show us mighty things out of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I asked the question this morning. What time have we got to quit? Sorry? Oh, when you're finished. That's like how long is a piece of string? Okay. All right, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, please. Deuteronomy 32. I want to show you something here, and I know you've read it before, you've heard it before, but I'd like to just bring this to your attention, especially the younger generation that's in here. And there's a lot of lessons to learn about uh, the older generation within the Scripture. And we're talking about generations, but this is just the launch, launching pad this afternoon. Deuteronomy 32, look at verse 7 uh, here with me, please. It says, Remember the days of old. Oh, I just love to go back and talk about the good old days, eh? What do you reckon? And your kids say, oh, you always have to talk about the good old days. And then when they get to 30 or 40, guess what? <laughs> they start telling you about their good old days. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders and they will tell thee. Now, one of the best things, we uh, preached this morning about learning from history in the adult Sunday school. Go back, Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 10. We can learn from the past. We can learn from the mistakes of the past. We can learn lessons from the past. And it's written here, remember the days of old. How would you like to go back to the good old days? And I'd say to the kids in school, you know, when I was your age, we could leave the doors open, the windows open. You could even leave the car, car keys in there. Cars didn't get stolen. No one came into your house. The kids could walk to school. No problem. We can't do that now. What happened? And the 12-year-old kid says, people just got more evil. Isn't that the truth? I mean, if a 12-year-old can sum that up, we should be able to put the finger on it too. So it says, remember the days of old. Remember the good old days? Some of us old folks, you know, I'd say to the kids, when I was your age, I could do this and this and this. You can't do that now. Remember, you could put a slug gun over your shoulder and ride your bike down the road and you go shoot two tin cans on the riverbank? Yeah. Not anymore. No way, Jose. You know, we've got to be politically correct and all the rest of that stuff. And there's a whole host of other things. Things we used to do when we were kids, you cannot do anymore. We've lost a lot of liberty, a lot of freedom, but it says here, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee thy elders, and they will tell thee. I was looking at the bookshelves one day in the school where I was teaching the Bible, public school, and I saw a book that says, My Granddad. I thought it'd be interesting. So while I was tuning my guitar and I was going over my lesson, I thought I'll have a read of that and I had a look at it. It says, My Granddad's such a stupid old fool. And I thought to myself, disrespect. He never does anything right 
He always thinks about all these silly old-fashioned things, and I thought that is an attack on the older generation. And this is what's going on in our society today. The older generation is being put down, especially by, you saw this young lady over in the United Nations attacking the older generation and even her mother and father and saying, what have they done for the world? I'll tell you what they've done for the world. They've given the world what we've got now. The things that they enjoy, I'd say to the kids, don't be too hard on your parents, mate. They're smarter than you. They put a roof over your head clothes on your back, food in your stomach. They give you your laptop, your iPhone, and uh, everything else that you enjoy. So don't think they're so dumb. They invented those things that you've got. So don't be too hard on the older generation. You can learn from an older generation. Now, I know there's a couple of boys in here that are really up on it, and those boys mess around with Linux and Arduino and rose, raspberry pies, and I'm not talking about the sort you eat either. Some of you old folks shake and say, what in the world is he talking about? That's what I'm at. You boys with me back there? You know what I'm talking about, right? You see, those boys know what I'm talking about. We're talking about computers. That's what a Raspberry Pi is. Did you know what an Arduino was? That's not some Italian that sells drugs either. <laughs> Did you know that that technology they're using back there, I was talking to him, I said, oh, so that thing there, you operate that thing? He says, yeah. I said, so are you using an OS or a computer system? Or something? Yeah, he says, I'm using an Arduino. I said, oh, okay, I know where you're at. Raspberry Pi and Linux and all that. He said, yeah, open source. We talked a different language. I'm talking a different language. Not that I'm talking in tongues. But see, you've got to keep up with these young people. If you don't, you get lost, you know. So I try and keep up with the young people and they say, how does an old bloke like you know something like that? <laughs> you know, I don't get left behind. But, you know, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father and he will show thee. The elders and they will tell thee. The word generation is used many times in the scripture. Generations is used many times in the scriptures. We might finish up with Psalm 78 if we get there, depending on time. But look in your Bible in Judges chapter 1, please. Many generations. Now, I made reference to that crowd that got held back in the wilderness for 40 years. You remember me talking about that? All right, but there were two fellows that came out of that mob that didn't die in the wilderness, and their names were? Joshua and Caleb, that's right. They're the only two that survived. And why did they survive? Because they stood up for God when the majority were saying, oh, we can't do it, you know. They said, yes, we can. We've got God on our side. Two men stood alone for God. And old Dr. Bob Jones used to say, one man and God in the community is the majority. And I said this morning, the majority is always wrong. Uh, you mark it down. You read the word of God. Where did I say to go? Judges 1. I wasn't listening. Okay. Judges chapter 1. Let's look at that this morning, this afternoon. In Judges chapter 1, put your finger on Judges chapter 1. While you've got your finger on Judges chapter 1, look across to the left at verse 31 in the previous chapter. What is that? That's the book of Joshua. Got you confused? Verse 31, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Two men were going to lead a generation into the land of Canaan. These two men were godly men that stood for God and they were great men. But they were going to lead a generation we call a faithful generation. 
a generation that all they had learned was God in the wilderness. They'd seen how God had judged their parents, how God had taken care of things in the wilderness, had met their needs, and all they knew was God. And so uh, they were held back from going in because of their parents. But when their parents were dead and gone and out of the way, good, we can go forward now over the river Jordan and into the land of Canaan and, you know, into the land of promise. And so here was a young generation. They'd been marking time for 40 years and they were in preparation. They were getting fired up and, uh, you know, they were, had a lot of zeal and they had a lot of desire. So when they got on the move, mate, they were ready for the fight. God said, I want you to go into the land, drive out the Canaanites, take possession of the land that I'd given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Look at Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass... You know, one thing you find in the Bible, it always comes to pass. Didn't we say that this morning? You can be guaranteed that it's going to come to pass. It will come true. I like that phrase, it came to pass. That the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up against, for us against the Canaanites first? And as you read through chapter 1 here, you'll find the tribes that went out, they fought against the Canaanites, they drove out the Canaanites, they took possession of the land as they moved forward. But you know, as they went forward and time passed by, you'll find that uh, first generation was replaced by another generation. Uh, I won't go through all the verses today, but have a look at uh, verse 21. And Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem until this day. First mistake, they allowed the Canaanites to stay instead of driving them out. God said, drive them out. Have nothing to do with them. Do not adopt their ways. But they allowed them to stay. They did not drive them out. Uh, and if you look over into verse uh, uh, 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen. Verse 20, uh, that was verse 27. Uh, verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Giza. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko. What's going on here? All of a sudden, they're not driving out the Canaanites like God told them to do. And then verse uh, um, 32, it says, And the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. And so we look through here. But Naphtali did not drive out the uh, Canaanites as well. And so all of a sudden we've got a generation that have now gotten tired in the fight. They've lost their fight. They've lost their fire. They've lost their zeal. And all of a sudden they're starting to rationalize what God had said. You know, it's crazy to drive out all these people. Why don't we just make slaves of them? Keep them in the land. Make them pay tribute. And we'll put them to tribute and, you know, put them to work. See, begin to second-guess God and begin to uh, go against what God had told him to do. And sadly, there was a price to pay for that. And as you look over here into chapter 2, verse 7, They said, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all of the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. So they buried him. Joshua's gone. We know the elders that outlived Joshua were a great generation. And so you look at verse 10. 
says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So what had happened here was, we had the generation that was full of fire and full of fight, and they were ready to go to war and to drive out the Canaanites. Then there came the other generation. They got tired of the fight. They began to wear down, and they began to say, we need to back off. Maybe we need to rethink this. And incidentally, rethinking things. I said up there in Mackay back two years ago, I said, the time will come. You know how we've excused homosexuality and all that sort of stuff over the last 40 years and played it down? I said, you wait and see. Next thing you know, they're going to start playing down pedophiles. You know, we don't really understand them. We need to maybe be a little bit more patient with them and maybe we need to give them a little bit of, you know, space. One of the boys in the church brought me a paper. He said, you know, there's a professor down here in a university in Victoria who said, you know, the very thing that I said. You know, we've been too hard on these pedophiles. We don't understand them. We need to give them a little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy, a little bit more space because, you know, their understanding of love of children is a bit different to ours. Hello? You need to be careful of that. So anyway, this generation got tired of the fight, so they said, you know what, we need to just back off on the fight, have a little bit more mercy, understand these people. We might learn something from them, adopt some of their ways. I'm sure they've got some good ways. Nah. So they begin to do that. They begin to tolerate them. They begin to integrate with them, and they begin to adopt some of their ways, and before long, it's going to lead to something really bad and really worse. So one generation has uh, been on fire for God. The next generation starts to fail and then all of a sudden a third generation rises up who is we call the faithless generation. They do not know the Lord nor yet the things that the Lord has done. It says in verse 11, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and forsook the Lord God of their fathers which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. So God's unhappy with them now and God says, you know, this is what you want? Okay, help yourself. They'll be thorns in your side and pricks in your eyes and they will become your enemy and they will become the victors over you they will become your conquerors and you'll become their captives this is what you want okay help yourself it's like the children of israel there in the wilderness you know that rebellious generation he gave them the desires of their heart and sent leanness into their soul i think we're suffering the same thing in our world today the world has wanted what it wants and god said okay help yourself but there's also a consequence be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever the, a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I think we're reaping in Australia what we've sown in the last 30 or 40 years or more. I mean, I said this morning, we've lost the fear of God. We've lost that fact that there used to be a more of a God consciousness in Australia, but that's all gone now. And how many times do we witness and give out tracts on the street and they say, a gospel, what's that? What's that all about? Jesus? Who's Jesus? Uh, I don't know, some of you older preachers might remember this, and I told this down in Benalla. There were some American missionaries came out here in the 1960s. There was Randy Pike. Let me see, there was Sid Hunter. Uh, oh, there's a whole host of them. Anyway, one of them was out in the outback, 
and uh, he had tracks in his car and he pulled up to get fuel at the service station. Some of you kids don't know what a service station is. Am I right, adults? You say, what's a service station? That's where they serve you. They come out and they put the fuel in your car and incidentally the fuel used to leave the nozzle in there and run. Click and you go. They'd wash your windscreen, they'd pump up your tyres and then they'd go click and they'd take it out and put it in the bowser and then you'd pay them. That was called service. We don't have service stations anymore. We have self-service stations. See, so ask the old fellas, they'll tell you what it used to be like. But anyway, this missionary was out there and this guy was pumping his petrol, pumping his tyres up and uh, washing his windscreen and so the fellow said, handing him a track says, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, no. No, he said, I, I, he doesn't live around here. And he was serious. He wasn't making fun of nothing. He said, no, no, he said, I've never heard of him. He, he doesn't live around here, I've never heard of him. And you know, that's, that was back 50 years ago. And that's way out there. But listen, right here in the city, we've got people who've never heard about Jesus. Never heard about Jesus Christ. And it's our obligation to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this mob here has now started to integrate with the heathen. Modern churches have started to bring paganism into the church and they've started to integrate with paganism and now the old poem was the church and the world walk together on the changing shores of time. You remember that? Some of you might remember that. And the church was trying, uh, the world was trying to sway the church and trying to woo the church and the church said, no, I will have nothing to do with you. But as time went on, the world began to continue to woo the church and little by little the church gave in. That's where we're at today. The church has gone along with the world and now you cannot identify the church from the world in so many instances. And so these people, three generations, the faithful generation, the failing generation and a faithless generation. Somewhere along the line there, something went wrong. You know where it was in that middle generation. They stopped talking about the Lord. They stopped raving on about how great God is and the glory of God and the majesty of God and the works of God. They stopped telling their kids about it. So a generation grew up who knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That's why we as Christians have an obligation to teach our kids, to train our kids, to remind our kids that there is a God in heaven and be unapologetic for who he is and what he does. And even out on the streets, we ought to be able to say, hey, we don't go along with what the world does. Here's a gospel track that shows you evolution's a lie. You've been lied to. And give out some other tracks and show, there is a judgment day. There will be a resurrection. One bloke one day, I was giving out tracks in town on the Saturday. He said, oh, I'm an atheist. I said, that's all right. God died for atheists too. But you know something? I said, um, one day you're going to die. I said, you might not believe in God now, but the instant you die, you will know there is a God and it'll be too late then. Anyway, I said to him, I said, did you ever hear the story about the atheist? He said, what story? I said, well, anyway, he was this atheist. He died. So uh, they had a funeral and so they had him all decked out and dressed up and doled up, you know, like a tuxedo shirt and tie in a beautiful coffin with the lid open and all of his atheist mates passed by looking and said, oh what a shame what a shame and one of them said yeah look at that all dressed up and no place to go <laughs> I was in Sydney and I saw this little cartoon I thought isn't that cute these boys had black pants on a white shirt and they're knocking on doors 
fella opens the door and says, yes, can I help you? So they hand the man a pamphlet. And he looks at it. He says, there's nothing on this. No writing. They said, that's all right, we're atheists. <laughs> the atheists do not have a message. They've got nothing. And so we've got everything here right in black and white, and even though they don't like it. But you know, that third generation, it integrated with the heathen. They knew not the Lord. They did not know about the works of Israel because the previous generation stopped telling them, teaching them, and talking about the Lord. Woe be unto us when we stop talking about the Lord. Uh, we should never be ashamed. We should never be apologetic for the God of heaven that he created all things and he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He's the one that uh, has, you know, we used to insure our houses. We used to insure them against acts of God. You remember that? Who remembers that? You young people don't. You know why? Because it ain't there anymore. They've replaced that with acts of Mother Nature. See, that's how far we've gotten away from the truth. But this generation, they integrated all this heathen belief and everything into their belief system and their religion. They started doing what the pagans were doing. It says in verse 14. Of verse 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Not only that, there was Molech and a whole heap of other pagan gods and the anger of the Lord, verse 14, was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hand of the spoilers that spoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not uh, any longer stand before their enemies. No longer are they victorious. No longer are they conquerors, but they are now the conquered. Now are they the vanquished. The enemy is now the victor over them. Why? Because they've gotten away from God. We see a lot of trouble in our own land. I travelled from North Queensland right down here to Benalla and the further I got down into New South Wales, the worse it got. And as I got down towards the bottom, I saw, okay, there's a little bit of water in the dams, a little bit more as we got closer to Victoria. But I, you know what I noticed? The cattle had no grass, it was just dust. The sheep had no grass, it was just dust. And I thought about the fact that it says in the book of Haggai, and I call for a drought upon the land. Why? Those people were delivered from slavery and bondage over there in Babylon to come back and rebuild uh, the temple, the wall, and the worship and the uh, sacrificial system. Hey, but they'd wandered away and gone astray and God had to send something to get their attention. He says, you know what? You uh, sowed much and brought in little and you put your money in bags that had holes in it. It's like inflation. God was trying to get their attention. Read the book of Amos. I gave you cleanness of teeth. And there was no water in this town, so I had to go to that town to get water. Hey, it's just like Australia. And you know, God is the one that's trying to get this country's attention. He's the one that sends the rain and says, Whoa, hang on a minute. What did he tell Solomon? If there comes a time when I've withheld the rain and there's drought and there's famine and all this bad stuff going on, he said, that's the time where you fall on your face. You repent of your sin, you get right with God and that's when I will hear your prayer and I will heal your land. What did we say this morning? Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. So if you go back and saw what happened in the Old Testament, there's a lesson in there for us in the New Testament. Upon whom the ends of the world are come, they are written for our admonition. 
What our nation needs to do is get on its face before God and repent of its sin and say, we have offended you, we've sinned against God, and Lord, we want to get right with you because our land is uh, being destroyed because of our own wickedness and our own unbelief. Did you ever see that picture just a couple of months ago about this old farmer up here? His place is just devastated. It's just drought. Dear old fellow has a patch on his eye and he's out there, he's got his hat in his hand and he's out there kneeling in the dust and he's praying, looking up to heaven and his daughter took a photo of that. Anybody see that picture? I thought, wow, isn't that something? She said, I've never seen my father pray. But it got so desperate that he got down and he's old school and he realizes, hey, we've offended the God of heaven and God has withheld all of this. So another generation grew up which knew not the Lord nor yet the things which he has done for Israel. And we need to remind people, hey, God's the one that's in charge, not the meteorology department. What do they call it? Uh, what did Brother Lee call that? Uh, he says the bomb site. The bomb site. I never heard that. I mean, I go to the BOM site, but I've never heard him call it a bomb site. But anyway... Listen, the BOM is not in charge. And we pray and say, God, just send rain to mock them. Lord, withhold the rain to mock them. And look at Elijah. He prayed and said, all right, Lord, withhold the rain. Three and a half years. And then when, it was, when he was ready, he said, okay, Lord, send the rain. Three and a half years later, and it rained. So, you know, we have a power and an authority. We can go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, Deal with this person. Look at this politician here. Look how he's mocking you, scoffing you, blaspheming you. Well, why don't you do to him what you did to Nebuchadnezzar? Put him out in the field like an animal. Take away his mentality. Uh, look at the guy that was opposing the gospel here in the book of Acts. What did Paul say? The Lord strike you blind for a season. Well, we don't do things like that. We're Christians. Well, Paul was a Christian. See, we've been softened up by the ecumenical movement. You know, we shouldn't do things like that, judgmental and all that stuff. We've been too harsh. We haven't been harsh enough. I mean, if you read what Paul did out there when he was preaching and what Peter did when they were out there preaching, I mean, when the government says, you can't preach that anymore, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. What did Peter say? Well, you know something? We ought to obey God rather than you. You can put the mockers on us, you can put the clamps on us and say, well, you can't do that anymore, but, you know, God said we're supposed to do it. You know, it's like, you shall not spank your children. The Bible says you should spank your children. There are so many laws now that are attacking where we stand and what we believe uh, because we've got generations that have gotten soft on all these things that are taught in the Word of God, and we wonder why we're making all these mistakes. Even the guy that wrote that book, what was his name? I don't remember his name now. It must be a bit dementia or something. Uh, Dr. Spock, that's him. That's a good name. Not the guy out of, what is it, Star Wars or something? Dr. Spock wrote a book, and what did he say? Spare the rod and spoil the child. And then years later he said, you know, if anybody's to blame for the juvenile delinquency in America and the way the youth have gone astray, he said, it's me. Because he said, you know, I wrote a book that led a generation to not uh, discipline their children, restrain their children, and now children are out of hand. And he said, and you know, it's my fault. That's pretty good. So, you know, we need to get back to the old-fashioned ways uh, the faithful generation, we need that faithful generation. We don't need a failing generation. We don't need a faithless generation. We're already there. We've already got that. 
We need to get back to that faithful generation, full of fervor, full of fire, full of faith, and ready to get out there and take on the world and, you know, to confront the world and oppose the world and speak up for God unashamedly. I could tell you some wonderful stories about the opposition from the council and the police about permits and witnessing on the street and, you know, like Paul did back there, he pitted the Sadducees against the Pharisees. And the police told me up there in Townsville, you've got to get a permit from the council to do this. Went to the council. They said, you've got to go to the police to get a permit. <clears throat> back and forth, back and forth. Finally. I said, we're going to do it anyway. So we went to the council and they said, well, you know, we, we recorded it and asked the police, can we record it? They said, yeah, it's all right. As long as somebody knows who's recording the conversation, we said, are we breaking the law? They said, No. I said, our people just want it in black and white. Why we cannot give out tracts on the street? He said, we frown on it. So we said, well, we're not breaking the law, are we? Well, no, we just don't like you doing it. So if we did it, we're not going to get prosecuted, are we? He said, no. But anyway, we're down the town, giving out tracts after that. Next thing you know, one of these Turkish from the council comes and says, you cannot do this. You're on council property. And this is council property. You can't do it. So the next day, that was the Thursday night, on the Friday I went to the police station, saw the superintendent of traffic and I said, you know what? The council told us that that's their street, that's their property and we're not allowed on there to do that. He said, well, I'll show them. <laughs> so he went down the street the next Thursday night, he's in his uniform and, he's, uh, and he's, uh, they've got these cement tables and that in the middle of the street, in the middle of the mall, it was a mall then. And so he, he sees these uh, council officers standing around and he's he, uh, talking to us and he says, you know what, fellas, here, get up here, stand on this seat, stood on the seat. So he gets up on the table in the middle of the, middle of the mall. He said, now see these blokes over here? He's pointing to them. He said, don't worry about them. He said, if you want to get up here with me and preach and give out tracks, you do it. This is my street. <laughs> he said, and just to prove that, you come and see me tomorrow and I'll give you a permit to show it's my street. It's gazetted as under the traffic act, it's my street. And you know, for over 34 years we've had a police permit to go and give out tracks on the street. So, you know, we need to stand up. We need to challenge these people and pin them down. And God will honour that. You honour God, the Bible says, and he will honour you. Quickly, let's go quickly down here at Psalm 78. Oh, man. Psalm 78, verse 3. What time are we supposed to finish? <laughs> yeah, don't tell me that. Be honest, brother. Okay, Psalm 78. Look at verse 3 here. Psalm 78, verse 3. Which we have heard and known, and our fathers told us, it says. And it says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done for he hath he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that we should make them known to their children God said here's what I want you to do I want you to teach your children every day about me and about the great things I did and my greatness and my glory and get them to teach their children and their children and their children but you know we've gotten real slack on all that but look at verse 6 here it says that the generation to come might know, even the children which uh, should be born, 
who should arise and declare uh, them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. This is an ongoing thing. We need to constantly be telling uh, our children about the Lord and they should teach their children about the Lord. But things things have gone backwards. Verse uh, 8 it says, It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not set steadfast with God, the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They were armed and ready to fight, but you know what? They turned their back on the enemy, and that was the end of it. And that's what we don't need to do. We should not turn our back on the enemy. We should confront the enemy and say, well, this is where I stand. You are the minister of God. The Bible says in Romans 13, you are supposed to be the minister of God. That's where our politicians get the word minister from. And they are supposed to be doing God's bidding to thee for good and not for evil. They are to punish the evil and to praise the good. And all of a sudden, we find that they're murdering babies and now they want to murder old people. What's gone wrong with our country? We need to stand up and be vocal. It might not be as their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Folks, three generations. We're in a bad state. And I'm talking about New South Wales. Paul said, whatsoever state I'm in there would be content. Well, I'm in New South Wales, so I'm content. But I'll go back to Queensland, I'll still be content. I was in Victoria, I'll still content. But you know something? We need to stand up for the truth. Let's be a generation that's still on fire for God. We've got that fervor and that zeal and we want to go forward and we want to see God do great and mighty things. But if we don't speak up, we will lose that ability to speak. We'll lose that uh, ability to have freedom of speech and all that. So we need to be out there and be vocal and let them know you're here. Write them letters. Get their email addresses. Say, we're praying for you. And you don't believe how we're praying for you. I don't say threaten them, but say... You know, you need to read what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. You need to de- see what God did to Pharaoh. You need to see what happened to Elimas the sorcerer. I'm going to pray for you. God will deal with you. Put the fear of God in them. You're trying to scare me, yes. Why? Because the Bible says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We need that. We need to get back to putting the fear of God, not only in our family, because like I said this morning, Cornelius was a Roman centurion and a man that had a fear of God and raised his family to fear God. Now, if he was a man that feared God and he was a pagan uh, and he was a man that came to know the God of Israel and he uh, prayed to God every day and gave much to the poor and uh, the needy, surely we as saved people can do better than Cornelius. I mean, you read the story of Cornelius, brother, you need to preach a story on how Cornelius puts many Christians to shame. Serious. His prayer life, his fear of God, his compassion, and his witnessing. I mean, when he sent off down to uh, Joppa to get three men to come up and uh, bring Peter with them to preach unto him, what was he doing? Sitting down waiting for Peter to come. No, he wasn't. He was out telling his lost loved ones and friends, you know, there's a preacher coming up from Joppa. His name is Peter. He's coming up here to tell us how to get to heaven. You want to get in on it? The meeting's going to be at my place. And when Peter got there, he said, man, what a crowd. All these people were there. What happened? There was a lost man out there inviting people to church. And if a lost man can invite people to church, surely saved people can invite people to church. 
Okay, this week invite somebody to church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Light a fire in us, Lord, that will never go out. And I pray, Lord, that your zeal will be there, Lord, and we will constantly be driven by the Spirit of God, motivated by the word of God to get out there, constrained by the love of God to bring people to a saving knowledge of your son. Have your will and way in the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, brother.